Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. Each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Kay Lynch. They are the festival director of the Salem Horror Fest, which is entering its fourth year with the upcoming virtual festival. Welcome to the show, Kay. Hello. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I'm, we're so excited for you to, to, to be here for this because um, I, I, you know, each year the Horror Fest just seems to like grow. It's it's amazing to see. And I, even though, you know, COVID has been throwing wrenches and things, um, and I'm really happy to see that you've massed quite, quite a lot of um, really cool um, features and really cool like uh, programs and stuff. I'm really excited for it. Thank you. Yeah, I am too. We are. Uh, we're really excited. Um, I mean, it's a bummer that we can't have this in Salem. And obviously, visiting Salem in October is quite a unique experience. Yeah. But it comes with limitations. There are only a few small boutique hotels that are actually in Salem. Oh. So a lot of those sell out like November <laughs> um, oh, the wow. year prior. There are other hotels in surrounding towns and cities that people can stay at, but it's actually, you know, Salem, despite its international acclaim or notoriety, <laughs> it's a very small, a very small city. It can be expensive to travel to Salem. It can be just logistically difficult. It can be, right. um, you know, there are a lot of a lot of things that keep people from being able to experience it. So we kind of look at this as an opportunity to broaden our audience and um, involve more people. Of course, when we bring guests to Salem, it can be quite expensive to you know fly them out, pick <laughs> yeah. them up. October is the high holiday for everybody, so everyone's right. availability yeah. is you know tighter. So by going virtual, this has allowed us to sort of widen our scope 
um, and been able, you know being able to involve more people from the industry, from you know from, from Hollywood, from all angles. So we're really excited about that, and involve you know involve people who, uh, well, I guess everyone's not able to visit Salem this year, but you know in previous years where we can't get the time off from work or whatever the case may be, you know we're excited to be able to offer something for everyone. And like, because I full disclosure, I have a lecture as part of, of Salem Horror Fest, and I, I love that I could do it remotely because like you know it is really hard to get time off to travel like that, and it's so cool to be able to record a lecture and like be able to deliver it still. I really love that. So that's been an amazing part of it, I think. Absolutely. And it's great. Thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> hey, do, you do you live in Salem? Uh, actually, I live in the next town over. So I'm like five minutes okay. from, from downtown Salem. But You're basically um, in Salem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so going back to like the beginning of your horror experience, how did you get into horror? Quite frankly, I think it was uh, gremlins because it was oh. very it was very young when i saw it. It, it well in fact i would see the you know first 20 minutes of the movie many times and um it wasn't until i was a little bit older where i watched the movie in its entirety that i you know considered myself all in on on the horror thing and wanting to discover more but but largely you know because that because it's kind of geared towards kids and so the, the VHS tape was lying around a lot, you know, and sleepovers and whatnot. But growing up, it was a lot of uh, Saturday afternoon horror movies on UPN. Oh, okay. Mm, and yes. And then, then late night TNT with Joe Bob on Saturday night. So it was really through the TV uh, that I got into horror as like a hobby and a passion. Okay. What were some of your horror favorites growing up? Do you remember? House is definitely a big one. I remember <laughs> just being completely blown away by everything I was I was seeing at like two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, it, it was the edited version, so I wasn't even seeing its its full impact. But House was a big one. Wait, can I ask? Can I ask a question? Is it House like the American House or the Japanese House? Oh, American House. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the very, uh, very American, <laughs> very, very American. <laughs> yeah, actually, all American. It's, isn't he the all American hero? Or what's I, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that movie, that movie just, uh, I don't know, was I was confused, I was intrigued, I was disturbed. There's a lot of things from that movie. Carrie was a huge influential film for oh, me yeah. as well. Um, I remember watching that late at night and I was, you know, really into it. But at the very end, the jump scare where her hand pops from. Oh, pops out of the oh, grave. Yeah. 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 I had like the biggest heart attack. I, I was on the couch. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I've never been that scared in my life ever. <laughs> And um, this was in like middle school, I think. And at the time, our science teacher had this box for anon- anonymous questions that is really for like questions about your body and oh, yeah. the things that you might be embarrassed to ask but want to know. And the only time I put a question in there was to ask, what is that feeling in your heart when you're watching a scary movie? Oh, wow. Oh, what a cool question, though. Yeah. And then, you know, she was. She would talk about adrenaline and how it functions and fight or flight and you know, all, 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 all those things. And so it kind of became like 
a drug. I became like this horror junkie from there. I was like, I want to chase that. <laughs> I want to chase that feeling of dying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's funny. I I have an <laughs> I have an embarrassing story that just like came in my mind because like I my fifth grade teacher when I was in Alaska she um she did the same thing where she had like a box that because we they were teaching um the basics of like what your about your body and whatnot so she had a box that people could put questions in and this was a little old lady and she um. She had a British accent and I put in a question <laughs> and I still remember to this day was what do men's balls have? Oh, that was mean? my question that I put in the box. And so this little old lady. <laughs> that's, quite an, little, that's quite an interesting question and could really, yeah. really could lead to a lot of different <laughs> answers. Uh, yeah. And so this little old British lady is sitting there and she is reading the question, what do men's balls have with this like little old lady <laughs> voice in fifth grade? And I think I pretty much died of embarrassment. Well, what did she say? Yeah, what did she say? <laughs> she says, well, I think the question is about testicles. <laughs> like, You're like, testicles? I don't even know what I'm asking the question about. I just want to know. <laughs> And she's like, and, and testicles have sperm, and so she went into like the whole like oh, biological boy. thing of it. But like, yeah, that was my question at at fifth grade. Wow, <laughs> amazing! Well, you gotta know, you, you know, <laughs> you really do. You do. You what do. are those yeah. things that are just dangling there? Do they Ugh. come with accessories? Or- <laughs> <laughs> Can I customize them? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. So, Kay, as an adult, what draws you to horror now? Hmm. Well, I, I'm definitely most intrigued by how horror reflects culture and societal mm-hmm. anxieties. I think that horror as a function is really fascinating. And uh, I, I really like watching films that work on uh, numerous layers. So you can, mm-hmm. you know, there are different different ways to consume the same you know product, the same piece of work. And with horror, there's a gazillion subgenres <laughs> that you can go down. So, I, and, you know, to, to, to just say horror actually seems really quite broad because the types yeah. of horror that you can get in tone, in subject, in, in perspective, in so many ways, um, in the types of violence or the types of scares, the pacing of it all. I, I really like the variety that the genre offers. I also really like how the horror genre is used as a launching pad for a lot of careers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it's a, a place for a lot of experimentation, gives a lot yeah. of people the opportunity to show what they have. And, you know, as a community, I get to interact with other weirdos and people who <laughs> feel like outcasts and sort of the outsiders. And so, you know, the horror genre is also brought me to a sense of belonging that I really appreciate. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. it's fascinating to me constantly about h- how important horror is uh, and can be not only to myself, but, but others. I think that uh, anything we can do to sort of <laughs> proselytize that message to others, I think that through the festival, we've actually been able to reach a lot of people who didn't consider themselves horror fans or mm. still don't. But when they hear that sort of the angle that we take with the festival, they become a little intellectually curious and they'll, oh, I haven't thought of horror that way as sort of a mirror to society. And through that lens, we've actually got a lot 
more people involved and interested in, in, in attending specifically through, you know, that path. So I think that it's a, it's a really big gateway to a lot of questions, perspectives, concerns. Uh, you know, yeah. Roger Ebert famously said that movies are empathy machines um, because they allow us to experience, you know, the, the feelings and the perspectives of other people. And with horror, you know, it does the same. But um, I think specifically when you're able to experience another person or character's fear, mm. it, it really broadens your horizon even more than just kind of knowing a personality or their right. sort of interpersonal relationships. When I think that there's a lot, even today, I mean, throughout history, but I feel like, you know, today it's not uncommon to hear someone say, it's not a big deal. Or what do you saw? You know, you're overreacting or <laughs> I don't understand why you're afraid of this. And, uh, you know, I think that horror, even if there are scenarios being played out in the films that aren't, you know, direct fears or personal fears of ourselves, you can tap into the fear and the perspective of the situation and what the person's going through and can sort of secondhand feel these emotions and, and are able to um, understand why that would be so frightening. Yeah. And I think that that's something that everyone needs to pay more attention now because we're all on edge, <laughs> rightfully so. Um, but I think, you know, I think everyone needs to understand the level of fear that we're all experiencing, the sophistication of the kinds of fears that we're all facing because it can become a powder keg. And so if we don't start yeah. understanding how this works, you know, there becomes a moment where it's too late. You, you know, you either fight, flight or freeze. <laughs> and yeah. those, they're all can be dramatic expressions of those things. So, um, you know, I also think with the horror genre, I think a lot of us are, you know, a little more, have a little bit more emotional health and well-being <laughs> because mm. I think that we, we process the complicated feelings that we have. Um, and, and the horror genre helps us go through that in a way that's, Maybe not as, as directly confrontational. Um, you know, sometimes we don't yeah. want to face these things directly, and horror can kind of give us that one step removed of going through the motions and knowing that there's a start, middle, and end, um, that you're not going to fall off the track. This is a safe space to feel these really, you know, uh, complicated uh, things, and that it'll all come into the station at the end. Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> you had mentioned that you uh were kind of like hunting for that adrenaline uh spike do you remember the last film that like really scared you or reminded you of what it was like being that little kid watching um movies as as a kid oh let's see this had to have been some more recent than this i'm trying to remember but last year i saw hell house LLC. Oh, oh my yeah. God. I love Hell House yeah. LLC. Yeah. So that movie really freaked me out. That actually, so as much as I love horror films and, and everything about them, I do not do haunts. Ah. <laughs> make me very uncomfortable. I, you know, I really, I need my personal space. <laughs> and, and that, you know, especially going to a haunt that is 
know, kind of homegrown DIY. <laughs> you have oh, no yeah. idea, like you have no idea. who these people are, <laughs> and you know whether or not someone just kind of wandered onto the property. <laughs> you know, yeah, these are the things that go through my my mind where I'm like, um, I don't know, but I do love the the idea of them. And even though I, I have yet to go to Halloween Horror Nights in Universal, I really, really want to go. Uh, I'm, I'm still a little kind of anxious about the idea of going. But my favorite thing about going to Disney World is waiting in line. <laughs> like, I love the production. And oh, yeah. The That's amazing. Those, that goes into those experiences. So I really would love to go to some of these just to enjoy the creativity and the production that, yeah. that you know, they put on. So I've I've often thought like it would be great if I could just go during the day. <laughs> go. <laughs> if there was a time where you could just walk around and appreciate the or whatever, <laughs> yeah. That to me, that's kind of what 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 draws. But um, but the idea of someone getting in my face, <laughs> getting in my face, <laughs> I um, I'm partially concerned of how physical how I would react. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, so watching how how house uh, really tapped into that and yeah. it really it really spooked me. That clown man, uh, that clown. F- fuck exactly. that clown. Fuck that yeah. man. That was awful. <laughs> yeah, it was really messed up. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't know. I can't. Uh, I can't think. I've been watching so many like on the background. <laughs> so yeah, right. a lot of them are kind of just passing over me. <laughs> <laughs> No. Then Kay, what are some of your favorite horror movies as an adult? Like genre, subgenres. Like you talked about, there's so many subgenres. So, like, what kind of subgenres really draw you in? Hmm. Well, I I have a deep appreciation for werewolves as a Gemini. Mm. <laughs> oh my god, uh, Gemini's! Hey. Yes, <laughs> I'm a Gemini, and so am I. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I really, uh, I really, in terms of like monsters, um, werewolves are, um, you know, really, really good for me. I just saw Silver Bullet for the first time recently, and that was a lot of fun. I love that movie. I haven't seen it in years, but uh, that was a favorite growing up. Oh, it's great. It's, I wouldn't call it, you know, top five werewolf costumes, (laughs) but. But the way the way the you know the director shot that film and the the, the cinematographer the way they you know they, they did it actually is really effective because it is they they make it scary you know the way mm-hmm. that they they shoot it. I don't really have the yeah, specific. I I I can get into anything. I, I have to be in certain moods for mm. the heavy the heavy stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I I don't blame you there. Tell us a little bit about Salem Horror Fest. How how did this all come together? Um, how did you decide this? Because you did you start this? Is that how this worked? Yeah. So it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint, you know, the hmm. uh, the AD genesis of of this because it's um, become an amalgamation of a lot of past experiences that sort of led to it. I've had a background in theater. Um, you know, my interest in horror, living in the area, um, producing events and parties and whatnot. These are all sort of skills and interests that I've had over time that has allowed me to be able to pull off something like this. Um, professionally, I, I have a background in marketing and PR. Mm. And I was working, I was a director of marketing for Online Buddies 
um, which is a, a gay dating company based out of Cambridge, and they own Manhunt, and they used to own Jack. Oh, okay. Um, oh. And, and at the time. And uh, it was a very corporate environment. It was pretty, you know, there were some really fun aspects. I really loved my team, but I just, <laughs> I'm not a nine to five person. And I'm <laughs> yes, kind I understand of a bossy that. bitch. <laughs> In a sense, I mean, I, I think I'm a, I'm a great manager. I'm fun to work with, but I, uh, um, managing upwards is not a strong, my strong suit. Mm. So I kind of got burnt out and um, I just thought, I got to do my own thing. And the, at the time, it was the 2016 election, which is, of course, the shit show. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I was completely, you know, like, like all of us, just shell-shocked um, by the outcome and uh, just feeling confused and angry and um, thinking, uh, you know, how could we have let this happen? <laughs> you know, like, this is like right. textbook like animal farm shit like you know this mm. just seems so <laughs> inevitable that it was uh that it could have led to this so it was infuriating that you know it no one got none of <laughs> not enough people were able to mobilize and stop it from happening that uh i wanted to do something and someone with a marketing theater background <laughs> there's only so many like actual impactful things that that I can do to, to make change other than support causes and whatnot. And so being from Salem um, with our history, you know, it, it tapped into a lot of themes. Trump is still talking about goddamn witch hunt. You know, he said <laughs> witch hunt so many yep. times. And since, you know, it's just like so painful to hear him invoke that because he has no idea you know uh, what what had happened here and um and that he's essentially projecting <laughs> he's just he's um, right. creating a mass hysteria to uh to oppress others and so just thinking about the genre in that context and thinking you know Salem is a revolving door of tourists we have people from all over the world who come here all year long and especially in October and that Salem could be used as a, I mean, it, it is used as a educational sort of tool for people to visit and learn about the, the witch trials. But when people come in October, they're, they're looking for hocus pocus and, yep. you know, like right. a party and all this stuff, <laughs> which we've got and it's fun. And I, you know, I don't blame people for, for wanting to come and experience that. But I, I saw it as an opportunity to, give people what they want with that regard, but also place it in a context that kind of evokes conversation and can hopefully provoke some thought about, you know, about the, um, the programs and how, how we curate the program and the themes that we focus on and um, just sort of try to present these films in another, uh, possibly in another light for people who are here for a good time. And so we're constantly trying to straddle that. Quite frankly, the festival was a direct res response to the 2016 election while also wow. happening at a time where I was looking to commit myself to something, you know, something new, something different, something productive. And it sort of <laughs> became, you know, it was like a perfect storm 
Um, Silver linings coming out of the shit show that was 2016 and the shit show that persists today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sad to say I haven't cured anything, so. <laughs> <laughs> still, still at it. Um, and in fact, you know, it's worse. <laughs> but um, I had done, so before before I was the director of marketing at the, the job, I kind of go, you know, back and forth between a project that I self-start. I work for a company for a while. I go, fuck this. I leave. I go start another project. Then I kind of go back and forth. And I've, come, I've realized, you know, I'm not really cut out to work for someone else. But uh, one of my previous projects was Go Out Loud. And it was a gay, um, you know, LGBTQ events company. So we would throw, mm. um, there was no gay nightlife in Salem. Um, and so I was actually a campaign manager for an out city councilor. Um, someone was running for city council um and he was an out candidate and you know we we would have these lgbtq themed fundraisers and mixers and whatnot and we'd bring out so many people and we're like the gay community is huge here but we don't have a a gay bar or any sort of event Mm -hmm. to kind of bring us all together so for like three years i was running this um, gay events company we did nonprofit fundraisers and uh, monthly parties and eventually I started throwing these giant gay part Halloween parties. Uh, oh my so god. We did, uh, at the Hawthorne Hotel. So we had like Sharon Needles, we came and we crowned her the oh, wow. official screen queen of Salem in two thousand thirteen. Awesome. It was really fun. Um and we brought her back too to like crown so it was like her as sort of like the set the centerpiece of the, the event at first and the next year she came back to judge 13 other drag local drag oh, wow. were competing um, for her crown. So it was, it was really fun. Um, Whoa. Uh, I produced a, a, an original Midnight Rock horror show called Scary Mary in the audio corset. And it was a mix of like theater, rock and roll, and horror shorts. Um, and so these are all different kinds of things that I did in the community that tapped into horror and Halloween and the, the Salem scene. Um, so Salem Horror Fest kind of became, um, the combination of all the things I've learned over the years from, from doing, from being involved with all of that. That's amazing. That's That's so cool. I love that it evolved into something, into the Salem Horror Fest. Like you've always been kind of working on it and it kind of came to fruition. Yeah. Cause ultimately what I really... I might seem like I, I, I love attention. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely present that. I'm, I'm a, a what do they call it, an extroverted introvert. Uh, but, yeah. but I really, I just, and I love to work. Like I love to be productive um, and and be, you know, having something to show. And the thing that I see Salem Horror Fest most, from a functional standpoint, is this, the stage, this platform for others. And so, you know, we have, um, uh, you know, the, the world, you know, it, it sounds on everyone's bucket list. So that's, um, you know, that's something that uh, we can use to promote um, all kinds of artists and academics and um, artists. It's just, it's so much, um, so much opportunity. And uh, like I said, Salem being a really small town, um, there isn't really much being promoted in sort of a, um, 
to the rest of the world other than come visit Salem. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to um, kind of uh, use Salem's brand, you know, the uh, name, everyone knows Salem, um, and kind of use it to be a beacon for hot, you know, I was always amazed. I'm like, how, how does every horror movie not get from like, get a, <laughs> premiere here like I always thought it was really strange that Hollywood didn't really do my or you know like uh, big brands like um candy like the Mars company I'm like how are they not here doing you know because we've got that is so got, weird I never thought yeah, about that how like they don't like people don't really use Salem when it could really be an awesome place for promotion of a lot of things. I mean, it's just, it's Absolutely. the name. Everyone knows the name Salem. Everyone knows what the vibe is. Huh. Right. Interesting. So, um, but it's still just locally. It's still just uh, like any other, you know, day trip tourist kind of town um, where, you know, everyone's busy with running their museums and their shops. And, hmm. um, you know, we do have a tourist office. Uh, it's just two people, <laughs> but their <laughs> focus is really about you know the hotels, and you know we were able to take that, and and uh, of course all these um, you know people in the horror industry love the opportunity to be in Salem. I mean, every everyone does, um, and uh, it's actually really it's really great because anytime <laughs> we do host people here, I would say that like nine out of ten times the guest asks how much is real estate here? <laughs> <laughs> and my husband's a realtor. So I'm always like, well, you asked the right person. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me take you over here. Yeah. So I'm still waiting for our first <laughs> celebrity uh, home sale. Yeah. So people, you know, then they go back to LA or wherever they're coming from and, um, you know, tell, tell everyone about the experience that they had. So, you know, we hope we hope Salem to become sort of horror Hollywood East. Well, that would be so cool. Um, so, Kay, what movie are we talking about today? Oh, my God. Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Yeah, Ma, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who are about to give him... You're going to like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're going to have to open it now. We'll wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift he ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do, they change. They become clever, <laughs> mischievous. What's going on here? And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. 
Right. Hundreds of them. Well, I, I don't know, maybe thousands. They've been here too. Billy, what are these things? Where did they come from? Look, I know it sounds crazy, I know. But in a few hours, you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands. Directed by Joe Dante. They'll be expecting you. Cool. So if you haven't seen Gremlins, I'm sorry. Um, and you should see it. It's on HBO Max. But for those of you who need to catch up, um, in Gremlins, a gadget salesman is looking for a special gift for his son and finds one at a store in Chinatown. The shopkeeper is reluctant to sell him the mogwai, but sells it to him with the warning to never expose him to bright light water, or to feed him after midnight. All of this happens, of course, and the result is a gang of gremlins that decide to tear up a small town on Christmas Eve. So, okay, how old were you when you saw this? And give us your your horror story about this movie. I think eight. Eight? Uh, it was definitely, wow. yeah, I was definitely at a sleepover. It was on VHS. And in fact, it was over a series of sleepovers because I hadn't uh, seen it in its entirety until you know, um, well, I don't know how much how much later, but I would watch up to the point where the science teacher puts the candy bar under the desk. <laughs> so like before the gremlins are actually there, they're self still Magi. And I'm like, oh well, that was a great movie. Let's watch something else. <laughs> they're cute. Started- they're fuzzy. We don't have to worry about what happens when they eat after midnight. It's fine. <laughs> Exactly. So it was just, I would always want to watch the beginning because I was fascinated by it. But I was, I would just tap out at that point. So when I finally did watch it in the entirety, I kind of saw it as a, a sort of rite of passage. That's amazing. And so how many times do you try to watch it before you could watch the whole thing? Like how many years did this span? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It maybe it could have been just like over the course of one year. But I mean, when you're a kid, it's, 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 it's a it lot feels of like forever. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, it feels like forever, and it's like God, we just watched everything so much. So we were, you know, uh, but oddly enough, I was Gremlins, or at least that turning point in Gremlins, scared me more than Jaws because I remember always oh. never having an issue with Jaws. Um, I don't know if it's because it's like, well, the water's over there, <laughs> but like I go, <laughs> I go to science class, <laughs> like I celebrate Christmas, like I don't know. <laughs> that's so interesting. Wait, that's such an interesting way to think about it. Like it feels more relatable slash it could happen more readily to you than Jaws, huh? Yeah, I think, I guess. I mean, no, they that have, makes like, sense though. They have legs. That, that I think. <laughs> <laughs> they have legs. Yeah. They have legs. And the thing with gremlins too is like, it's. Christmas is such a ha- – I'm going to probably talk about this later too, but Christmas is such like a happy time and everyone's usually so excited and it's presents and it's warm. And this movie just is like a huge fuck you to that joy around Christmas and like houses are destroyed, presents are torn apart, Christmas trees are annihilated. And I feel like that feels like it's almost like ruining that ethos of happiness around Christmas, which I think yeah. is great, but – well, it's also validating that for so many people, too, who begrudgingly have to, you know, just grit and bear it. Yeah. And, uh, so to have this sort of, like, punk rock middle finger to the holiday, 
uh is like yeah yeah that's what it's like i wish i could do that i wish i could jump out of a christmas tree and strangle a bitch <laughs> <laughs> so um when you finally did see the whole thing did it did it still scare you or at, at that point had had it been kind of passe yo at that point i realized i had built it up <laughs> yeah oh okay yeah it's um at that time i didn't really understand how movies work you know how like mm. how tension building tension where how it's all methodical and you know it's like mm -hmm. uh, you know it's it is this manipulation um that's being done to the viewer and so once i got through the whole thing i mean there's a lot of goofy <laughs> you know like, there's a lot of goofy scenes with these scary looking <laughs> monsters and so it kind of it kind of takes the the edge off you know in the end um because essentially it's just like one big live action cartoon it's it's funny because like i couldn't remember very much of this movie i think it's probably been 30 years since i've seen it um i've always been much more of a a fan of a gremlins 2 and so i've seen that one a lot more than i have this mm -hmm. one but i'll tell you what we have talked on this podcast a couple times about how music can like instantly transport you back to when you're a kid and there were two moments in this movie and it, the first was when gizmo does his little singing what is it mogwai What's he doing? Singing. He does that sometimes. His little kind of twirly singing that I just like, oh my gosh, it, it brought me back to feeling like a kid. And then when the gremlins commandeer the plow and that that like fantastic Jerry Goldsmith theme just kicks in. <laughs> brought like a giant smile to my face and brought me back to to this movie like no other it's such awesome. a good fucking moment too like i was watching it today like i like i've seen it before but i jumped up and pumped my fist i was like yeah it's gremlins like it's here <laughs> it was like that needle it's like a needle drop and you're like oh my god the havoc is be is like really truly beginning and it's just like the best kind of reveal of that track oh it's so good yeah it's like it's like circus music too it's like it is chaos. So yeah it's like, oh my God, yes yeah. it's just like circus music which fits it completely with like the the feel of the movie at that point because it's just like all anything goes just sort of right anarchy and chaos controlled chaos i guess from a from a movie perspective but it the other thing is that like the moments that kind of popped back in my head was like the the blender with <laughs> <laughs> the Kremlin oh gets fogged yeah. up in the microwave. And the pool and the fountain, like all of those moments, like I, I remembered them clearly. But in my head, I had like put them all together as being like the, the finale of the movie. Mm. Somehow that those were all like happening one right after the other. It's such a because like I remember nothing about the rest of the film, just like these very specific moments. And of course, the music. When did you see it, Mary Beth? So, I definitely watched this. I think I was around ten, eight. I was between eight and ten when I watched it, and I know this because I watched it with one of my dad's ex girlfriends, 
And I have this like very specific memory of watching it in her house with her cats. And I don't know why, but like this all came back to me today. It was very strange. And I remember watching it. I remember really loving it. And I remember really wanting a Mogwai. Um, and I also remember, I don't remember being scared, but I remember like, I remember the scenes with the kitchen and the Christmas caroling. I warned you, Brad! Like those two scenes I thought were this like happened back to back, similar to what you thought, Terry. Mm. So I like again always remember the scenes with like the transformed gremlins and it was like the movie that they put me in front of while my dad and his girlfriend like did other things, whatever, and like I was put in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was that yes, great. So that was my role as a child. Oh, um Mary Beth. <laughs> that was me. So that's why I saw Gremlins, and I loved it. So, you know, silver linings to my dad's multiple <laughs> failed relationships. <Yeah. laughs> oh, my God. But watching it wow. now, like, this movie is so sad. Yeah. It is so deeply upsetting. Like, the discussions of like, the capitalism and how every, like, no one has money. And what the hell's her name? I totally forgot. Kate, Kate. Kate. Like, her dad getting stuck in the chimney? The house was freezing, so I went to try to light up the fire, and that's when I noticed the smell. The firemen came and broke through the chimney top, and me and Mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird, and instead they pulled out my father. He was dressed in a Santa Claus suit. He'd been climbing down the chimney on Christmas Eve, his arms loaded with presents. He was going to surprise us. He slipped and broke his neck, died instantly. And that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, so much bleaker than I would thought. And, like, you know, this is a PG-rated movie. But it definitely does not feel like a P- like you know that was the time like, right the time when PG and PG third like PG thirteen was like about to be a thing right yeah well this this movie and and uh the um the Temple of the Doom, Doom Temple of Doom yeah are like the reasons why we have a PG thirteen rating because people were upset. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like imagine taking your kid to this like cute Christmas movie with a cute little like fuzzy creature, and then it's just like. F- chaos things getting killed people getting attacked i mean by the way santa's not real (laughs) yeah oh my god and she's like and that's how i learned santa wasn't real i'm like are you okay like do you you need do you need something like a hug or like therapy like yes even before that she's talking about how like she's talking about suicide around the, the mm-hmm. around the holiday times because yeah. i i was like gobsmacked when she's like that's when a lot of people get really depressed mm. that's funny you know because i always thought everyone was happy during the holidays no matter what well most people are but some aren't well everybody else is opening up their presents they're opening up their wrists i'm like holy shit this is heavy yeah. and it's in yeah. a pg movie i'm like this is like some dark, heavy, existential shit going on. And the studio fought so hard to take it out. And yeah. it was Joe Dante, who just 
that was the, you know, you make a lot of compromises when you make a film, but he said that that was the one thing that he was like, I'm going to die on the hill for. He was like, no, that has to be in it. Wow. Well, it, it's interesting too, because it's like, thinking back to when I watched it as a kid, I mean, like, I didn't pick up on any of that. So I feel like it's one of those movies that, like, you watch as a kid with, like, your parents, and your parents catch all the really awful stuff, but the kids are like, oh, look, little monsters that are really funny to look at and are doing funny things mm. and speaking. It's like the precursor to Minions with their weird little talk. Ew. Mm, I'm sorry mm-hmm. I brought up minions, but <laughs> like, they have like that, like, like their little gibberishy kind of talk. So, I mean, that's probably right. what kids love. I still love it as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about how the mom is like the MVP of this movie? Yes, Lynn. Yeah. I, Lynn. I love Lynn. Like, so bad. She is when she goes in the kitchen and she's just like fucking destroying these gremlins, like just, you know, tossing one in like the blender and microwaving one and then using her butcher knife to stab another one. Like, I'm like, okay, you are the protagonist of this movie. I want to follow you, not boring Billy. Right, though? Because I yeah. feel like she was the one that really kicked the most ass by herself. What does he do? What does Billy do in this movie except torture Gizmo by forcing him to reproduce? Oh, like, that made me so that mad. That made me so sad. Because, like, he hates it when water's on him, and Billy's like, hey, look at this. Let's put water on him. I'm oh, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and the, the dad is useless. <laughs> oh, oh, my is God. Is he even in this movie much, is... except to, like, narrate So why it? is he the narrator? <laughs> like, why is the dad the narrator? Because he's, he's just fucking useless. Like, why? Yeah, why was that not... choice made? What are your, what are the, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> I mean, I guess he's, he's the one who brings it into... Like he's he's the instigating moment. Like he's the one who gets the right. care. So I guess from from that standpoint, yeah, I didn't. I don't know that it needs a narration though. Although it's a holiday film, so maybe they kind of mm. bought that sort of opening narration. Yeah. Well, it's structured like a fairy tale, right? Like yeah. it, it has this this very. Um, I mean, the beginning of it, and, and <laughs> I'm sure we'll dig into this a little bit. It's like the very exotic feel of like Chinatown. And uh-huh. then you go to like this picturesque, uh, city of Kingston Falls where he's like living with his family and everything is just so perfectly perfect. And, it, and what I thought was funny is that like people will watch this and it feels like, in, like home or it'll feel like a memory of something and it's because like this set has been used so fucking oh, much really? set of oh, this yeah. movie yeah it's like the set that was used in back to the future it was created in 1948 and it's been like used in tons of movies wow. trying to to kill yeah, a like to kill mockingbird oh. back to the future elvira mistress of the dark they even use it in hairspray live wow. a few years ago oh, like wow. It's like it has it has it is the quintessential small town America and it is a set that is used over and over and over again. Well, and what's so interesting about that too that was like this is like it gives the very like aesthetic appearance of small town America, but it's actually like everyone is very sad and very broke and drinks their problems away. Like it has that veneer of like suburban America but really digs into like what is underneath of it and the people that live there and like the like the kind of socioeconomic ranks very 
very explicitly, especially when they're sitting in the bar um, and they t- he's talking about, like, I'm going to be a millionaire by 23 and I wanted to oh, yeah. punch him in the throat. Um, but they also – something I was thinking about with the dad that's interesting is, like, you know, dads are the breadwinners of the family. But this guy is very much following his passion, which is, like, you know, great. But it all falls on his son to take care of the family. And, like, you know, he is kind of just – kind of seen as like no nobody no good his inventions are all terrible so it's interesting kind of like a reversal of domestic dynamics that you see in a lot of horror movies and a lot of movies in general especially in the 80s yeah i think the the you know with the the set it kind of you know in the the christmas setting um it lends to this sort of superficial veneer on everything and how it's like look how plastic this is but uh how decrepit underneath um you know the the facing layer I, there's like a couple different points that just that just popped to me but like the first one is um i love i love his gadgets i really do even though they're like <laughs> so terrible like the coffee machine that pumps out oil coffee mm-hmm. <laughs> like the egg machine that like everyone approaching these knowing that it's gonna like explode in their face it's just it's such a a fun comedic little visual gag i love the orange juicer like i still remember that was another thing that popped out of me when i watched this time the orange juice just sort of like exploding orange juice after billy is like thinking oh it's actually gonna work this time and it just like (laughs) explodes well it's interesting because it's gremlins are you know they that the term was kind of came out of world war ii and gremlins are essentially sort of like folklore about um malfunctions they like to, you know like equipment malfunctioning oh you got gremlins and so there and then of course in gremlins too it's you know you go from like a small no-name inventor um who his technology is unable to achieve anything right. useful and then you go to clamp power where it's a smart building a smart building in a movie from 1990, <laughs> mind you, right? uh, that um, that even with all the money in the world, the technology still is wonky. So, you know, Gremlins at first would not really seem, well, what's the connection? These little green monsters versus this sort of old-fashioned notion of, of, of what they were. But it's still very much uh, the backbone of this series is basically how... You cannot rely on technology. <laughs> huh. I actually never thought about that before. Huh. That's a really cool, like, huh. I was thinking a lot about the race in this movie, I think. <laughs> I was very stuck on, like, racial representations in yeah. Gremlins. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's it's funny. I never really, I never had thought about it. And again, I hadn't, I hadn't seen this movie in particular in, like, well, probably at that point maybe like 25 years or so but i never thought about it until that the trailer for dear white people came out your entire 15 page unsolicited treatise on why the gremlins is actually about suburban white fear of black culture the gremlins are loud talking slang are addicted to fried chicken and freak out when you get their hair wet you know gremlins is is uh, a metaphor for white fear of 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 black culture seeping into suburbia and i had never really thought of it like that before and i actually when i was watching it this time i ended up doing a little bit of of digging and because like the thing that kind of stuck out to me was this idea of this asian culture giving white culture this this uh 
this gift in the Mogwai. Well, I mean, I, we, he's also kind of stolen in a way. The idea that the Mogwai is like this offensively stereotypical model of like the perfect minority who is focused on assimilation. Like it wants to be part of, of the culture. And then uh, you, when it's like spawns out, then you have like the gremlins being like loud and un unruly and anarchy. And it's like seeing the kind of dichotomy between the two. I, I found this, this article and we'll, I'll link it in the show notes, but it was, it's um called cute, dangerous Asian American gremlins at 35. And it was, it was written by a Wendy Allison Lee. And she was talking about how she's Asian and she was looking at it as like the Mogwai as being the model minority race, because like, it's cute. It's well-behaved. It plays piano. It strives for assimilation. And then you also have like Futterman, who's like just complete distaste for anything foreign. And he's like, goddamn foreign TVs, goddamn foreign cars, oh, yeah. always freezing up. Mm -hmm. Like he is like representative of like that sort of small town fear of the other. I I just kind of, I thought it was, it was interesting to see how that article mixed with like some some black theory on this movie kind of like go hand in hand in a way. Yeah. So Gremlins is so much more complicated than you think it is. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like people talk about it as like this cool monster movie and like the gizmo is the cutest thing ever. And he is, but then like you really watch it and it's like Joe Dante was doing a lot in this movie. A lot. Yeah, it's tapping into a whole lot of themes. Yeah. When I always kind of wonder when, when we're lo looking back at films, like if it's something that, you know, because we're, you know, 30 years removed from it, if like we can look at it differently. But I did, I did discover that there was a critic, uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum, who in his 1985 review of the movie said that the evil beasties can be plausibly read at various times as adolescents, blacks, Native Americans, good old boys, people who like Walt Disney movies, mischievous kids, hobos, monsters, anyone can add to the list. And I think it kind of ties into like this this fear of, of the other, whatever the other is. And I think that might be why a lot of different um, minority groups or like different people that aren't necessarily um, part of white culture um, can see themselves in, in this as the, the antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's about ultimately about disruption. So you have this like perfect society uh, or seemingly uh, it's projecting mm -hmm. this sort of, um, perfect little town and nuclear families and the American dream. And then you just <laughs> throw a bomb in it and you right. get to see how everyone reacts to, um, you know, their lives, the, 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 you know, their little inconveniences being inconvenienced from these chaos makers. I, I guess the other thing that I'm, I'm thinking of just off of what you said, Kay, is that like, it is seemingly perfect, but we know, um, Mary Beth and you have both mentioned, we know that that this town isn't good. You have Mrs. Deagle, who I'm just going to say I love her. I, I, I think she's a terrible human being, but I just kind of, she's a character, I guess, the one that you love to hate. But like, she's kind of like cornering the, the, the market on like, being this this horrible landlord like you know she's talking christmas eve and she's talking about foreclosing on someone's house like she's 
this this town and even have Mr. Futterman who's complaining about the 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 Ford industry but he's lost his job he's drinking himself into oblivion like things are not good in this town even though it has this sort of fairy tale on the outside picture to it and it's also like i got this weird vibe that it was very anti-capitalist in a way too mm-hmm. like not yeah not like you know very aggressively but it's like right now destroy landlords like fuck the landlords who suck you dry and don't care about your money there's this whole like you know especially with um futterman and his obsession with like different products like american cars versus foreign cars and the dad wants to sell his inventions and that's the only way he'll be successful is if he can sell these inventions and it's like this very interesting focus on the need to become part of the capitalist structure and then the gremlins come around and they're like fuck the capitalism and like the pub that everyone loves that was going to be i think what closed down by by mrs deagle they just destroy it and like in the store where it's like the like the convenience store everything is destroyed and so it's an interesting kind of look at like an interesting anti-capitalist like burn it all down kind of perspective and like Anarchy and mayhem, which I understand is is very problem, it can be problematic in how these gremlins are presented to be like racial stereotypes, but it's an interesting kind of anti capitalist thing to it as well. Yeah, well, and, and just it being a Christmas movie as well. I mean, Christmas is very is like the the pinnacle of capitalism. <laughs> um, sure um, is. <laughs> yeah, and Mrs. Deagle, her cats. Did you catch her cats are all named after um, uh, currency. Inter- different oh really oh my god countries. no yeah, but... <laughs> yeah oh my god that is I, so funny I, I love her though because like i just keep thinking back to when she's first introduced and like the first thing out of her mouth like they ask you well you know um good morning she's like what's good about it and the way she like cuts across traffic knowing that they're gonna stop for her is just like that is like that bitch thing to do right I guess. Oh, yeah. I also well, want to punch her in the throat, though, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, she's like, it's like she's Scrooge or, you know, It's a Wonderful yeah. Life, you know, about the bank. You know, it's kind of all about the evil, um, you know, the evil landlords, the evil money people, the evil bankers. The evil bankers. Yeah. Evil capitalism, which is ironic considering um, <laughs> the toys and the everything else that kind of spiraled out of this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's an extremely commercial product. 100%. <laughs> I mean, I wanted a Mogwai when I saw this movie. How could you oh, not yeah. want? How could you not? I want, oh, want a gizmo. I still want a gizmo. <laughs> but that, that's the dad even says at one point, he's like, Every kid in America is going to want these and instead of being like, why is this weird creature multiplying like <laughs> right, with water right. on it and like has all these rules and you're see- instead seeing it as a product. And and that's another thing. It's like these these thing- these creatures aren't seen as living things. They're seen as something to- – as a- they're a commodity. Right. right. And I think that's that kind of ties into what I mean, Billy's just like, oh, this thing is really cool. Let me show my science teacher how we can like make it procreate. Like it's it, it's they're not they're not seen as as people. It's it's a what can we how can we take this? How can we study it? How can we commodify it? And how can we ultimately use it for our own benefit? And of course, that blows up in their face. Which but, I think like right. There's like an interesting spin you can take on that and like rebellion and how the other rebels. And again, like 
I think there is no one answer and I think there is no like proper reading because I think it is ultimately problematic, but I think there is something to see there about these, the other rise of monster characters rebelling against the people that want to keep them in cages and want to use them as science experiments and taking control over the town. Maybe there's something there. Yeah. I don't know. Oh yeah, well, so just messing with nature in general, like the, you know, when you when you uh, take advantage of of nature for corporate um, interests, that you know, in, in movies and in real life, it doesn't doesn't always end well. So I think it taps into that too. Yeah, and I I do think that there's probably multiple ways that you can look at at how this this movie is tackling these themes because uh, i mean I, even even going with i mean the way it ends with the um the old the chinese grandfather taking back the mogwai and basically saying you're not ready for this like we it has so few rules and yet you cannot you as, as the suburban white america cannot handle this at this point i mean you can look at that as like a couple different ways like either a uh, you know, America's not ready for assimilation because during, you know, with, with the, the suburb, we're, we're coming right out of that kind of post-war suburban, suburbanization of, of America where that was very, very like, um, segregated. And, and you had all these different people working to make the suburbs as segregated as possible. And I, I was reading up articles on, on how you had everyone from like, the uh the home builders and the lenders and the estate brokers all doing discriminatory practices to keep all these little tiny suburbs um one race and one economic background and one type of 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 thing and so you could look at at the 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 chinese uh grandfather that that takes the mogwai back as being this like yeah America, you're fucked. You can't handle. You can't handle this. But then it also is like you could look at it the opposite side of things and like see it as is sort of uncomfortably racist of like the way it's it's portraying the, the characters. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's weird. In the commentary, um, Howie Mandel had said that at the end when he comes to pick up um, uh, Gizmo. And I forget, I forget how how he says it, but he kind of says, he says this kind of like in his little gizmo voice, something to you know his his like um, you know, original owner. Um, and how he said that that he was saying a Chinese word for foreigner, <laughs> but gizmo oh. was like calling the white people for like these oh. foreigners. <laughs> Uh, oh. like, you know, okay, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, and 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 he he also says you let him watch TV. <laughs> now I do have a question about these rules. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> because I mean, okay, no feeding after midnight. Are we talking like twelve to eight? What's the time? Are we zone? talking like? Does it matter in the time what? zone? <laughs> right. Does it? Can they eat in like a different time zone at at, at midnight? Is it? Because like technically any time is, is after gonna... midnight. <laughs> You're prob- I mean, really. <laughs> I agree. But I think <laughs> I don't think anyone really thought that far. <laughs> They're like after midnight, that's it, that's the rule. But I mean this would be yeah. what I was like I would I would worry about if I if I if Mogwais were real, I'd be like, Oh god, can I feed him at eight? Can I feed him at, at nine in the morning? What is it like an eight hour span of time? <laughs> what's the, pe- like, what's, the what's the window for peak gremlin behavior? <laughs> 
Well, if you think about it, though, how many things in our lives do we have those same sort of questions about? I mean, I, I always wonder about multivitamin or like vitamins in general. I'm like, does this really work? What is it actually <laughs> like? You know, taking taking supplements or trying to understand diet and nutrition at all because um, you know every study <laughs> tends to contradict another study. Yeah, <laughs> so you're like, well, what is actually like? What's more important, calorie intake versus yeah. you know, physical activity? And, you know, is or, you know, one glass of wine a day is great. You'll live longer. But then, you know, oh, no, but actually you'll shave off two years <laughs> from your life. Or like, It's good oh, for your heart. It's not good for your heart. Yeah. Like, I feel like these rules are rules that we're always up against. Um, I mean, even uh, I keep going to nutrition. I've, I've got some. I've got some issues with food, um, but like, you know, how many times you heard like, oh, don't, don't eat after midnight. If you want to like lose weight or not gain weight or whatever, like don't eat late, you know, that sort of, even that something as simple as that, I feel like, you know, there are all these little sort of rules, uh, you know, or with any sort of addictions or smoking yeah. or whatnot, I feel like there's all these little contradictions. And so I feel like that it, it can tap into something, you know, it's, there are these the science is not ever 100 percent, and that's um yeah. a problem because that's, <laughs> that leaves room for people to say well if you can't have 100 percent, then everything's in question but it's really about like what is the the most the most true or the most likely yeah. to be true um and so i feel like with these rules it's like okay maybe it's not like 1201 uh it's like <laughs> we don't these are the rules as we know them, but we don't still are very ignorant to the entire culture and the entire, um, you know, lineage of this creature of this uh, species um, that, you know, those rules could not, not even be real or true. You know, I mean, clearly things happen <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a result from these things, but they might not it might not be midnight like as a as a hard rule it might just be i don't know at you feed them too late things don't go you know go so well maybe it's not hard a hard science and it's funny i just saw a tweet that actually they're creating an animated prequel to gremlins called secret of the mogwai which may give oh. us some answers about these rules i'm th- i mean if there's a prequel i'm guessing there's going to be some answers but it's an yeah. animated se- prequel coming to hbo max which Huh. Gizmo well with the young I forget what's his name. It's the his um his owner in the shop. Oh key, yeah. key, key Luke. Mr. Wing. Oh my um, god. Wing. That's actually a, I love that. Yeah, so it's like the young adventures of Mr. Wing and Gizmo. I love that. And maybe it'll be a it sounds and I think it sounds like the showrunner is Asian American and it sounds like they're gonna try to make yeah, it good. um a little less culturally awful. <laughs> Insensitive. <laughs> insensitive, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe we'll also get an answer for if they don't need to drink link liquids at all. Because like I went on a deep, <laughs> I oh tell you, God, I get these thoughts in my head, and I went on a deep dive. I was like, well, how is how much water is in milk? Milk is eighty seven percent water, so they can't drink that. Like, oh my God, Terry. what do they? <laughs> <laughs> These are the questions that keep me up at night, Mary Beth. I get it. I understand. Like, There's a lot of really important questions about the gremlin Do they rules. not need to drink at all? 
I don't know. And then on top of that, is there like it's a certain water temperature that like doesn't affect them because <laughs> it's snowing. It is snowing outside. Yeah. The snow is going to melt on their skin. And at that point, why does he need to go for the pool? He could just stand outside, lay down what? in a in a snowbank and it will melt and he'll procreate then. I mean, I get like logically that makes sense. <laughs> like I get it. But it <sighs> I can't even, like, try to logic my way out of it. Like, there's nothing I can really argue about. I'm just like, well, the logistics of the water, the water-to-body ratio, and, like, the temperature of the water, and the purity of the water. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they have to be submerged. But I think it's important to keep in mind that Joe Dante believes that movies are all a fantasy. They're all, yeah, they're, they're, they're not... Um, he was never intending to be literal. Uh, no, Kay, this so- is real life. <laughs> it's a documentary about gremlins. Uh, but to me, that, Joe Dante is good at that, though, the fantasy aspect. Like, it is oh, yeah. such an amazing world that he creates yeah. in this and everything else. I'm so jealous you get to talk to him. Oh, he's so sweet. He's so smart. And yeah, it's just, uh, I-, I love. He's, he's got this like childlike wonder about him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's clearly been around for a while. He's made a ton of movies and lived lived a good life. Um, and you know, obviously, still is. But I mean, he still has. I feel like this uh, this childlike wonder about him. Like he's just yeah. very curious and um and and goofy. And uh, yeah, I just think that um, he reminds me. What I love about Joe is that he he's such a sweet man, and he just seems like a, a very calm, chill person. Mm. And you know, he dresses like a theater professor. Like he looks like oh. you know, he's got like the, the big sweaters and you know, khaki pants. I love that. He's got like the, the like the spoken. swoop of hair, like that, like yeah. theater per, the theater teacher swoop. <laughs> yeah, he's just there's something so soft spoken about him, but his movies. <laughs> Are all middle fingers yes. that are like yeah. with a smile. <laughs> they're like right, a wink and a nudge, but a middle finger. Yeah, they're all these movies deal with disrupting the American dream and yeah. making fun of it. So I just, I just find it so interesting that for someone who, in no way, really comes across as punk rock in presentation, mm. but in his work. Very much so. It's, um, oh, yeah. it's this sort of this youthful energy of of acknowledging the world around you and saying, "Well, this is fucked." <laughs> and what's more punk rock than looking like a theater professor, but actually having the mentality of punk rock? <laughs> I love that. Oh yeah, or making an extremely commercial product that <laughs> that criticizes, you know, yeah. consumerism awesome. at the same time. It's, yeah. And then the burp. Oh, I love the burbs, but we won't leave it on top. I was going to ask, what's what's your guys' favorite Joe Dante movie? Do you have one? So I haven't seen enough of his movies to have, a, I think, like to make a good favorite, but I really love the burbs. I really love Me the too. burbs. It's an it's an incredible film. I I, I think that I, I would love to see it performed live. I feel like it's, it's just so tightly written. Ooh, that'd be mm-hmm. so cool. That it would be translated as such. It's just, it's so character driven and, and just hilarious. It's just it's such a funny movie. It's so, it's so fucking funny. I have to go with Gremlins. Just, I wouldn't say, I would say Gremlins in general. I would like combine the two and say like, just based out of, you know, partly nostalgia and 
and whatnot. But I, but I watched, I rewatched The Howling recently, and I just, I really got into it. I was really it's good. just kind the of the werewolf I, effects in that one. It's yeah, it's really good. And I not remembered much about it. I just didn't really have much of a connection to it, just mm. having seen it sometime in the past. But watching it this time around, I was just really, really hooked. And that's uh, you know, another film that really takes a look at American society at that time about you know violence in the city media i feel like he, a lot of his films deal with mass media um you know she's mm. a broadcast journalist mm-hmm. there's a at least one tv on with a movie or cartoon or tv show or something mm. in every one of his films like this you know these little mods everyone he casts there's so many cameos from you know old hollywood films that he could you know get these people that he idolized to you know appear and sort of bring this legacy of Hollywood into into what he's doing, so I feel like a lot of his films are are meta in a way that isn't like look at me, I'm being meta. It's just like he just puts in these influences. Um, well, I mean, I think that like in Gremlins, clearly there's a you know there's a lot of I mean, Gremlins too, especially you know they yeah. actually break the fourth wall in that film. So there are there are instances where it's very much intentionally trying to be meta, but just the way you know the way he casts you might not know who these people are but to him he knows exactly you know the 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 black and white films that they had been in and Mm -hmm. wow so terry how many microwavable gremlins out of five do you (laughs) give gremlins i still think of the two i prefer gremlins too just because i i have such more nostalgia for it um but i do appreciate this movie a lot more now than I probably did as a kid. I do think that it has some problematic areas, but I think it also kind of questions them at the same time. So it's, it's such a weird movie that it, I think it perfectly uh, mixes the ideas of like comedy and horror and really kind of shows just how elastic horror can be with it. So I think, I honestly think I probably would give it, Oof, I think I'd give it 3.5 microwave gremlins out of out of five, honestly, because okay. um, I give gremlins to just a little bit of higher nudge to it. Mm. <laughs> what about you, Mary Beth? I give it four microwave gremlins out of five. I I hadn't seen this movie in so long. I forgot how much I loved it, and I forgot how much fun it is. And I think it's so much more compli- complicated than maybe it's given credit for. And I think Joe Dante is an amazing filmmaker and this like adorable oh, yeah. little monster creature opened up like this huge story that interrogates capitalism, suburbia, racism. And, you know, it, in the 1980s, it didn't always land very well, but I, I think that this movie deserve. I mean, it gets a lot of credit, but I think it should get even more credit for especially like it's, very political themes that you wouldn't expect, especially when you watch it as a kid. So, Kay, you have the final word. What rating do you give? How many microwaveable gremlins out of five do you give gremlins? I am going to give it uh, one gremlin with um, doused in water. Uh, so that it's just, who knows? It could it's be more than infinite, five. infinite number of yeah. microwavable gremlins. <laughs> yeah, you're just tossing bag, that gremlin it, into a pool. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I put the gremlin in the microwave and then the microwave in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I, I can't give it uh, a very critical review because it is means so much to me as my gateway into the genre. Yeah. It's, um, it's the imagination of it, the design of the gremlins, the performance of the gremlins. Um, just captured my imagination and, uh, and, and so indelibly. Like I just am in love with how they look and um, you know how they're all done practical. You know the practical effects that um, that got that went into it. Um, these are all the things that really attracted me as a kid. But as as you both had pointed out, that you know now and you know as growing up and and you know I think I think. Um, tapping into the sort of the depression around the holidays was something mm-hmm. that kind of unfolded, you know, after the initial, well, this movie's really fun and cool was tapping into, you know, the, that aspect of, um, okay, there's more going on here. And then realizing it's about the American dream and it's like an onion. You just keep peeling and there's different <laughs> yeah. layers to take away from it. So I really, I really appreciate it. Uh, and it's meant a lot to me. You know what? Fuck it. It's four for me too. <laughs> we got him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, Kay, for joining us to talk about Gremlins. Where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything? What do you have to plug that's coming up for you? Well, it's uh, Salem Horror Fest all the time for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 here, and uh, as soon as it's not, it'll be time to plan for next year, so this is my life now, and I have no complaints, uh, at least when it comes to that. Um, and uh, so uh-huh. please check us out, the website, SalemHorror.com, you can see all the events we and got we'll, going on. And we'll include that in the show notes. Thank you, and um, and the same on all those socials, just Salem Horror Fest, you'll find us, um, and talk to us, tell us what you want to see, tell us, you know, how you'd like to get involved, it's really you know it's really meant to be a platform for others and uh we have the audience you know um everyone looks yeah. to stay along so let's give them something not only fun and entertaining but um like gremlins uh a lot of you know salient themes and um you know opportunities to connect and empathize with others yeah and shameless oh, yeah. plug i am presenting at Salem Horror Fest about found footage. So if you weren't gonna go, you should go now. <laughs> <There's> Absolutely. A- <laughs> um so everyone, listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with Gremlins? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Dreadful. Um, and of course, keep the conversation going by chatting with us on Twitter at Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Arnold for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you to everyone for listening. Stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.